Help me to be clear uh, with the things that need to be said. And Father, I, I pray you'd help us to all learn something or just be challenged in regards to something. Um, just meet with us tonight, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Uh, amen. Alright, well we're there in uh, Genesis 19. And we read there a very famous story. And last week we dealt with only the subject of verse 1, that Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. But I want to preach uh, to you, or just give you three different examples. The Bible says that Sodom and Gomorrah uh, are an example. And we're going to look at that in the New Testament in a little while. But I want to show you just uh, three different examples that we find in this story in Genesis chapter number 19. The first example we find, which I want to go through it real quickly because we've talked about it uh, in length uh, other times. But the first example, and we can't preach a sermon on Sodom and Gomorrah without mentioning this, is the example of the Sodomite. The example of the Sodomite. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, There came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and... and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your way. So he's saying, hey, just come, come to my house. Just spend the night at my house, and I'm going to take care of you. And at the end of verse 2, the Bible says, And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. And he, referring to Lot, pressed upon them greatly. See, he knew what went on there at night. And they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and they break unleavened bread, and they did eat. So the Bible says, you know, they said, no, we're just going to stay out all night, and we're just going to stay out on the street. And, and the Bible says he pressed upon them greatly, because he knew, you know, the area that he lived in. Look at verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Notice it says that all of the people, from all the quarter, and it says both old and young, says they came and they compassed the house round. They, they literally circled that house. And in verse 5 the Bible says, And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Now if you remember, those are the two angels. They said, where are those men that came in to thee uh, this night? Bring them, now, uh, bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Now when it says there, know them, they're not saying we want to get to know them, like we want to meet them, or you want us to, you know, we want to be introduced to them. They're talking about a wicked sin there. Go with me just real quickly back to Genesis chapter number 4, and look at verse 1. I'll show you the same terminology. You know, God is not vulgar in the Bible. So He, he uses words uh, and, and explains to us what those mean without exactly giving us details we don't need. And if you look at Genesis chapter number 4 and verse 1, we see this word there, know or knew. In Genesis 4, 1, the Bible says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So the Bible tells us, when Adam knew Eve, she conceived. You know, she became with child. She got pregnant. So that's what God, God uses that word there to let us know what He's talking about. And if you go back to Genesis 19.5, these wicked men come around this city and they say, hey, bring these men out that we may know them. Now they're saying, look, we want to do things to them. We want to defile them. Look at verse 6. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters which have not known man. 
Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Now that's crazy to me. I don't understand that. But he says, only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will need to be a judge. Now we will deal worse with these. So they said, now we're going to do worse to you lot than we're planning to do to those men. Um, you know, now we will do worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. So they're coming, they're coming, you know, they're, the Bible says they're going to break the door. They were coming uh, to get him and to defile him. Look at verse 10. But the men put forth their hands, these are the angels, and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Now, I want you to understand the picture, and I don't want to spend too much time on this point, but you need to understand that the Bible gives us everything we need to know about every single subject. I believe that uh, without a shadow of a doubt. I believe that God has written in His Word everything we need to know about everything. In the King James Bible. And we ought to be able to read the Bible and look at what God wants us to know. And I'm telling you something. God does not paint a pretty picture when it comes to the sin of sodomy. He does not give us an example anywhere in the scripture of a sodomite who's a good guy. Or a sodomite who's a Christian. Or a sodomite. Every time the Bible mentions, starting at Genesis 19, when we find the story of sodomites in the Bible, we find them wanting to take advantage of people. We find them wanting to rape people. We find them wanting to defile people. We find them violating people and hurting people. And the example of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example that the world does not want us to know about the homosexual. But we ought to know, and that is, that they are a predator. I don't know how else to say it, and I don't know how else to get people to understand it. But you ought not be friends with a homosexual. You not, you, we shouldn't like the homosexual. We shouldn't be trying to help their cause and trying to you know, vote in these props. Hey, as Christians, we ought to be weary of them. And we have to keep our distance from them because God tells us in the Bible that they want to hurt. Let me give you another example. In another example, go with me to Jew, uh, Judges, chapter number 19. You're there in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, and then you got the book of Judges, Judges, chapter number 19. We talked about this a little bit this morning, but it's interesting to me the correlation of numbers in our King James Bible. Genesis 19 deals with uh, the story we just read, and you're going to see that Judges 19 has a very familiar story. Judges 19, look at verse 22. Judges 19, look at verse 22. Now the Bible says, Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, that word Belial, they are talking about the devil. These men were sons of the devil. They were sons of Belial. Beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house, the old men saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. Now I don't have time to read the whole context, but you got to understand, these are not angels. This is a different story, but it's very similar. You might even get confused and think you're reading about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. But a certain man is searching for his concubine, and he goes to the city, he finds a concubine, he's staying with an individual, and when he comes to the individual, he, he's staying the night at this man's house, just like the angels were staying with Lot. And the Bible says in, in the last part of verse 22, the Bible says that they said, saying, bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. Again, the same terminology. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly. Seeing that this man is come into mine house, do not this folly. Behold, there is my, there is my daughter, a maiden, the word maiden, you can study it out if you like, it means virgin in the Bible. 
Behold my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine, them I will bring out now, and humble ye them. And do with them what seemeth good unto you, but unto this man do not so vile a thing. So again, we got them offering these people. Now if you remember in Simon Gomorrah, the angels did not allow Lot to offer his daughters to the homosexuals. But in this uh, passage, they do offer them. If you look at verse 25, but the man would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them. And look at what it says. And they knew her. And abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day, and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was, till it was light. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, and let us be going. But none answered. And the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up and got him unto his place. And look, I, I, I don't even like reading this story. Obviously, I don't think it's wrong to read the story. It's the Word of God. God put it there for a reason. But look, let me tell you something. They offered these people, and the Bible says they defiled her. The Bible says they abused her all the night. And when the sun came up, like a bunch of cockroaches, they ran off. And, they, and the Bible says, this woman, she comes up to the door, and she just falls at the door, and she dies there. And look, I'm telling you, this is the picture that God paints of the queer. And, and you know, in America, we have this mentality that the homosexuals are, are friends. You know, and, and women have this mentality. They think, oh, well, he's not going to, you know, he's not, he, he likes guys. So he's not going to do anything to my daughter or he's not going to do anything to, to a woman. And let me tell you something, that's not true. In the Bible, every homosexual, they, they would defile a, a young lady as quickly as they defile a man. That's what the Bible says. I'm just telling you. Show me in the Bible a righteous homosexual. Show me in the Bible where God points a, 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 a light of, you know, points out a good thing of a sodomite. You cannot find it. And Sodom and Gomorrah and Judges 19 and different references that we've gone through them before paint for us a picture and give us an example that we ought to take heed to. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter what, you know, the politicians say. It doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You ought to be very weary and scared of the homosexual in America because according to the Bible, all that God lets me know about him is this. They want to hurt. They want to defile. They want to rape. They, look, let me tell you something. I said this before and I think it's a very wise statement. I didn't come up with it. I've heard it. But homosexuals cannot reproduce. A husband and a wife can reproduce a child. They cannot reproduce. The only way they can continue their way of life is by recruiting. And here's how they recruit. They defile children. They molest children. It's the truth. Find, find, you know, find somebody who's molested children and 99% and of the time they were molested. And what happened is they were molested and they grew up to molest people. And when, when you get, you know, when children are molested, if they don't get saved and they don't, and the, and the word of God is allowed to do a work in that child's life, I'm telling you something, it turns their heart away from God. And it, it makes them go into that, that wicked sin. And, and God paints this picture for us. And look, God didn't deal with them. And I read, you know, a couple weeks ago, I went through and showed you all the verses where the Bible says to put them to death because God saw no other way to deal with them. If, if Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, we have other examples in the Bible where nations were judged. I give you a perfect example, Nineveh. 
And God will send a prophet to try to uh, get those people to get right with God. If you remember Nineveh, God sent Jonah. You know, you remember the story where Jonah ran away and a whale ate him, you know, and a whale swallowed him and he was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights. But the whole point of the story is that God sent him to Nineveh and when Jonah finally went to Nineveh, he was preaching, hey, get 40 days. He was telling him, hey, God's going to judge you unless you get right. And God gave those people a chance and they did get right and they did get saved and God did spare them and God does that all through the Bible. Why didn't He do that in Sodom and Gomorrah? Because there's no hope for the homosexual. I, and listen to what I'm saying. You did not hear me say that because you perform the sin of sodomy, God gives up on you. There's no such thing as you perform a certain sin. You know, well, I mean, there is certain things. The Bible says you can remove, you know, if, if you mess with the Word of God, He's going to remove your part of the Word, you know, of the... But what you got to understand is once you're saved, you're saved, okay? Once somebody's saved, they, they will never lose their salvation. But the homosexual is able to become that way because they've already been rejected. Alright? They don't become, they're not rejected because of the sin. They can perform that sin because they've been rejected. So that, that's what I'm, I'm trying to explain to you. And that's the example we can learn uh, from the Bible. Now go with me to Jude 1.7. In the, in the New Testament, Jude 1.7. And I want to show you a verse there. And uh, put, put a marker there, because we're going to look at a verse, and then we're going to come back to that verse later on in the sermon. But go to Jude 1.7, uh, towards the end of the, of the, uh, of, of the New Testament. And if, you, if you find the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and you go to the book right before it, you'll find the book of Jude. Jude, there's only one chapter, verse 7. Jude 1.7, the Bible says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example. The Bible says, they are given to us for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The Bible says that God literally took eternal fire that proceeds from God, the same eternal fire that burns in hell, and God poured that eternal fire on Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of His wrath. You know, people say to me, you, I don't like it that you use the word queer. You know, and the word queer, here's what the word queer means. And queer isn't something that, you know, was meant for a homosexual. People used to use the word queer. Queer just meant it was peculiar or it was strange. It was, you know, different. But really, that's, that's really biblical because if you look at Jude 1.7, part of their sin was this, going after strange flesh. Because a man going after a man is strange. And the Bible says they went after strange flesh. Hey, that's queer. You know, that's, diff- that's strange. That's what the word queer means. But what I want you to see there is that it says they were set for an example and it was eternal fire. God did not give them a chance. God, did, God sent no Jonah to Sodom and Gomorrah. He just, he just gives us a view of these stories to show us God is saying, this is what I want you to know about the homosexual. This is what I want you to understand about the homosexual. Now keep, keep a marker there in Jude 1.7 because we're going to come back to it later and look at something else. But go with me to 2 Peter chapter number 2. 2 Peter, and uh, in, in 2 Peter you're, you're right close to it there in Jude. Just start going towards the left in your New Testament. 2 Peter chapter number 2 and look at verse 6. I want to get to a different uh, point now. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, not only do we find the example of the homosexual, but we find the example of a good Christian versus a bad Christian. A good Christian versus a bad Christian. You're there in 2 Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse 6. 2 Peter 2, 6, the Bible says, And turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overflow, making them an example. Again, same, same terminology, an example. Unto those that after should live ungodly. And look at verse 7. 
and delivered just Lot. Okay, the Bible says that Lot was a just man. That means he was sane. Now here's what he did. Delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man, that's Lot, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Bible says that, the Bible called Lot just. The Bible says he was a righteous man. The Bible says he had a righteous soul. Let me tell you something. Lot was saved. Lot was a Christian. He was a believer. And Abraham, obviously I'm not going to take the time to prove to you that Abraham was saved. We've already spent weeks on the subject of Abraham. Abraham was saved. Now, here's what's interesting to me. If you go back to Genesis 19, God allows us two examples of two, of two saved people. Two just people. Two people that are righteous men. That are, uh, have righteous soul. And he... And, in the same circumstances in life. They're living in the same region, around the same people. I mean, they're, 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 they're both there, Lot and Abraham. They're, they're living together, you know, at the same time. They're peers. But they're two very different individuals. And it's interesting that we're able to see the contrast between how Lot lived his life, and how Abraham lived in his life, and how they ended their lives. And it's all based on this word, choices. You're there in Genesis 19. Uh, look at verse 2 again. Genesis 19.2 I want you to just see the difference between how Lot acts and how Abraham acts because the story of Sodom and Gomorrah not only gives us an example of the Sodomite but it gives us an example of the contrast between a good Christian and a bad Christian. Look at Genesis 19.2. The Bible says, And he said, Behold now my Lord, this is Lot, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. And tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house. So they come into his house. Look at the last part of the verse. And he, that's Lot, made them a feast. So who made the feast? Lot did. And did bake unleavened bread. Who baked the bread? Lot did. And they did eat. Now go with me back to Genesis 18. One chapter to the... Let's look at Genesis 18.1. Genesis 18.1. In Genesis 19.1, we saw when the two angels came to Lot. Lot said, don't stay out here all night long. He said, come into my house. And he made them a feast. And he, and he baked bread for them. And they ate. Look at Genesis 18.1. We find here when God and the angels come to, to Abraham. And look at what it says. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. Now this, that him is Abraham. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself toward the ground. And said, My Lord, if thou I found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, look what he says, notice his word, be fetched. Did he say he was going to go get it? He said, hey, let me send somebody to get you some water. And wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the street. And I will fetch. Now he says, I'm going to go fetch a morsel of bread. And comfort ye your hearts. That ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Look at verse 6. And Abraham hastened into his tent unto Sarah. And said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. Now, who was baking in Abraham's house? Sarah. Now you say, well, that's kind of trivial. And now look, you may think that's trivial, but I'm telling you something. We live, in a, we live in a society where the roles of a male and the roles of a female, the roles of a mother and the roles of a father, the roles of a wife and the roles of a husband are being...
being trampled on. And let me tell you something, there's a, you can see a very clear difference in the house of Abraham and in the house of Lot. When God and the angels show up with Abraham, Abraham says, I'm going to send somebody to uh, you know, get you some water. I'm going to go tell my wife, hey, start making a meal because we got some guests. And Abraham took a part of it. The Bible says he fetched also. If you keep reading, he fetched of the, the lamb and he took part too. He wasn't just lazy and didn't do his part, but he involved his family and he, uh, you know, led his family and he, let, you know, and he, and he had the family do certain things because he ran the home. But Lot, what did he do? He didn't even try to go to his wife. He just said, look, if, if we're going to eat around here, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to bake. I'm just going to have to make the meal. You know, and, and it's a very clear contrast between how they led their home. Abraham led. Lot did not lead. And you know why Lot did not lead? Because of weakness. Because the only reason people do not lead is because they are weak leaders. And Lot could not lead his home, but Abraham led his home. You know, I, I don't... And like I said, Abraham took part in it. He went out and he grabbed a lamb and he, and he did certain things, but he led his home. Let me give you another example of the contrast. Look at Genesis uh, 19.12. Look at Genesis 19.12. We can see how their families perceived them. First of all, we see how they acted towards their family. Abraham led his home. Lot did not. Now we'll see how their families perceived them. Look at Genesis 19.12. And the men said unto Lot, Has thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in, in, in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his son-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-law. Does Lot have any respect from his family at all? They're just laughing at him. They're just mocking at him. Now go with me to Genesis 18.17. Genesis 18.17. And let's see how Abraham's family perceives him. Genesis 18.17, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that which I do? And look what God says. I mean, who would know better how Abraham's family perceives God than God perceives Abraham than God? And look what God says. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. The Bible says that God, God knew that Abraham would lead his family well. And, you know, I won't look at it now, but if you remember when, when, when uh, Sarah laughed at the fact that God said she was going to have a child, the Bible says she referred to Abraham as her Lord. You know, not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That would be blasphemous. Just capital L, lowercase O-R-D. She was saying, look, Abraham, my husband is my Lord. He's my boss. You know what that tells me? Uh, how many wives have you, do you know today that would refer to their husband as Lord? You know, that's probably... That my, you know, that's, that's not... And I don't think the average husband would even like that. You know, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird. Don't do that. But you know what that tells me? Is that Abraham's family perceived him with respect. But Lot's family... He, he's trying to warn them, saying, hey, we got to get out of here. And they're just mocking. They're just laughing. No respect. But you know why there's no respect? Because there's no leader. You know, people will respect someone who leads. But when somebody is weak and they just refuse to lead, then there's no respect. Because Abraham led, he was respected. Because Lot did not lead, he was disrespected. Let me tell you something. Your children 
do, you know, they, we, we, have an, we have problems in America. I talk to people all the time. People tell me all the time, I, I don't know how to deal with my kids. They disrespect me. They're disrespectful. Here's why they're disrespectful. Because there's no leader. If there was a leader, they, there'd be respect. You know, and, and let, me, let me tell you this. Children do not need to love their parents. You say, that is weird. Just listen to what I'm saying. The Bible never commands children to love their parents. You know what it commands them to do? Obey their parents. But here's where people get mixed up. They refuse to lead their children because they want their kids to love them. But the opposite effect happens. They don't lead strong because they want their kids to love them, and then their kids don't love them, they disrespect them. But you know what happens when you lead your children? When you discipline your children, and when you lead them as a leader, you know what ends up happening? The the direct result of that is... They love their parents. Uh, let me just be completely honest with you. Parents who spank their children have children who love their parents. Parents who do not spank their children have children who disrespect their parents. If you don't believe me, check it out. Go find families that spank their children and discipline their children and boss their children. You're going to find children who love their parents. But when you withhold the rod, you get disrespect. That's just the truth. I'm just telling you. God gives us a contrast. Lot and Abraham. You want you, but, but here's the problem. You fall into a mistake when you want to be their friend. You want them to love you, and because you don't lead them because you want their love, you get the opposite. You get their disrespect. So lead your parent. You lead your family. Be a leader. Hey, same same thing at work. A boss who leads and he does right by his employees. He doesn't have to try to do all these things. They're just going to like him because he's a good leader. But you have a weak leader. Disrespect. People take advantage of you. Let me show you another example. How and where they invested their time. Genesis 19.1, you have to turn there. We preached the entire sermon on it last, uh, last week. But Genesis 19.1, the Bible says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with the face toward the ground. So the Bible says that Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. We talked about that last week. In Deuteronomy, we proved how that meant that he was an elder. He was a, a leader. He was an authority figure in that, in that, uh, in that society. Look at Genesis 19.27. Genesis 19.27. Let's see how Abraham spends his time. Genesis 19.27. And Abraham, look at what it says. Got up early. Doesn't that hurt? I hate reading stuff like that. He got up early in the morning, and here's what he got up early to do. To go hunting? No. To go fishing? No. To the place where he stood before the Lord. You know what, Abra- you know what made Abraham such a great leader? You know what made Abraham a guy that his family would respect? A guy that his family no doubtedly loved? I mean, do you understand this? And we're going to get into it you know, when we get to it. But when Abraham led Isaac to sacrifice him at the mount... Do you realize that Abraham was a very old man and Isaac was a very young, strong man? And Isaac could have not done it, but because he loved his father. He, he was going to allow his dad to sacrifice him. I mean, that is love. That is respect. How did Abraham do that? He accomplished it by doing this. Investing time with the Lord. You say, how can I be a, great, a good leader for my family? Invest time with the Lord. But see, people choose to invest their time so unprofitably. I mean, all, and and let's go back to the example of children, just because it's an easy example. All over America, we find children that are disrespectful, that do not obey, that, and they grow up to raise children that are disrespectful, that do not obey, that they're not good. Why is it? Because families aren't investing their time. You know, and let me tell you this. You take a child, 
you put them in a daycare, mom goes to work 40 hours a week, dad goes to work 40 hours a week, you see him for an hour, two hours max every night, put him to bed, you're allowing somebody else to raise your kids, I'm telling you something, you're not investing time in those children, you're not going to get the... the you're not going to produce what you want. You, you, got, uh, you know, this is, this is the, the, uh, a theme in my preaching and a theme that I try to follow in my life. And, I, and I, if, I could, if I could get to you, if I could just stick it in your head and get you to see it the way I see it, I wish I could. But you only have a certain amount of time. The Bible says that our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. You've only got so much time to invest. And when you waste that time, when you waste that time lot at the gate of Sodom, you're gonna, your kids are going to grow up and go to hell. They're going to go to the devil because you didn't invest your time wisely. And Abraham decided, hey, first thing in the morning, I'm going to go to God, I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to lead my kids right, I'm going to do right, I'm going to choose wisely to invest my life. You know, people invest their lives in their career. They invest their lives in hobbies, in sports, instead of in their children or instead of the things of God. And then they end up losing both. I'll give you another example of how you can waste your life. I, I, this, this happens to me. If I had a nickel for how many times this happened to me, I, I'd be a rich man. I will knock on somebody's door. I'll say, hi, I'm coming from Verity Baptist Church. Want to give you and your family an invitation to church. Do you go to church anywhere? And they'll say, yeah, I go to whatever church. Whatever church. All sorts of different denominations. And I'll say, well, do you know for sure? Let me ask you this. More importantly, going to church. Do you know for sure if you die today? Would you go to heaven or hell? Or maybe you're not sure. Or never know. And here's what people tell me. They'll say, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I've been baptized. I've had people tell me that. Many people tell me that. I think I'm going to go to heaven because how I live my life. I think I'm going to go to heaven because I, you know, repented of my sins. I think I'm going to go to heaven because I spoke in tongues. I think, I, you know, every religion has their little thing. You know, the Pentecostals speak in tongues. You know, the, the Jehovah's Witness, you got to do certain things. You know, they all got their different checklists. But it's the same thing. It just works. Speaking in tongues, repenting of your sins going to church, going to the confessional booth, taking the communion, whatever it is, getting baptized, whatever, you know, every religion has its own different things, but it's all the same thing, work, salvation. And then I'll say, well, let me show you, may I show you what the Bible says in regards to anything? People say, sure. And I'll show them what the Bible says. I'll show them that, you know, it's a free gift, that you cannot earn it, you cannot pay for it. Jesus paid for it. It's not of works. I'll show them all those verses. And people will say, wow, I never knew that. I never realized that. Like, I was never taught that. You know, and, those, and I'll ask them, would you like to get saved? Would you like to confess with your mouth? Believe, you know, you believe in your heart? Would you like to confess? And they'll say, yes, I'd like to get saved. And they'll bow their heads, and they'll get saved. And they'll get it. Like, I'll, I'll question them about it, and I'll ask them, well, if you were to die now, do you know, you know, where would you spend eternity? And they'll say, heaven. And I'll say, well, how do you know that? And they'll say, because I believed on Jesus Christ, and He gave me eternal life. And it's a gift that He gave me. I just accepted it by faith. And I'll say, so it's no more works. No more works. You know, they really get it. And then I'll do this. I'll say, well, listen, we'd love to have you come to our church. And they'll say, oh, I, I, I go to such and such church. And, and, I, and I mean, and I'm telling you, this has happened to me thousands of times. I, I've been so many times, seven years old. This literally has happened thousands of times to me. And here's what I think to myself. Your whole life you went to a church that told you salvation was by works. A soul winner with a King James Bible comes by and shows you what salvation is. And then you're going to tell me, no, 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 I, I go to my church. I mean, the church that was going to send you to hell. I mean, the church that if you would have died right then, you would have split hell wide open because you're trusting in work. Because they told you it's baptism. Because they told you it's a good life. Because they told you it's keeping the commandments. Because they told you it's catechism. It's getting saved. Or, or repenting of your sins. Or turning a new leaf. Or whatever it was. And they'll say, well, and, and, people, and, and I believe those people are saved. 
I mean, you question about it, they are saying. But they spend the rest of their lives investing their lives in a religion that is not only was going to send them to hell, it's going to send everyone else who they teach that doctrine to to hell. And I'm telling you something, you're going to get to the end of your life. I'm telling you this because I love you. Because, you know, we're preaching this morning. Faithful are the the wounds of a friend. And people are going to get to heaven one day. Stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Say, praise God. And they're going to spend eternity in heaven. And they're going to realize at the judgment seat of Christ that their entire life was wasted. Here's how, we're, how, here's how God's going to do it. He's going to take everything you ever did. He's going to put it in a furnace. And He's going to say, whatever is left over, that's what counted for eternity. And the sad part is that for most people, everything they ever accomplished in their whole entire life is going to burn up. Because they didn't do anything for eternity's sake. They never got anybody saved. They never invested in their kids who are an eternal soul. They never, uh, you know, invested in reading the Bible. They never invested in memorizing the Bible. They never invested in the things that will swing. You know, they might have built a nice business. They might have, you know, had a real nice golf game. And they might have done all sorts of things. They traveled all the world. But they never did anything that mattered for God. And Lot rose up to the authority level in, in Sodom. He sat at the gate of Sodom. But his kids died in Sodom. His wife became a pillar of salt because she looked back at Sodom because she loved it so much. And we read there his own daughters later pretty much take advantage of him when he's drunk. And, and you know, they have uh, children from their own father. I mean, wicked family from a saved man. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear. He was righteous. The Bible says he, be- he, he had a righteous soul. The Bible says he was a saved person who raised a bunch of hellions. But how do, you, how do you invest this time? Down at the business. Down at the game. Down at the political party. Down at, you know, I, well, I gotta, I gotta work on this career. I don't have time to, you know, and I, I don't, I, I will never, I, I do not understand for the life of me why anybody will have children and then drop them off at some daycare because they gotta go work on their career. Well, why have children? You know, God gave you children. You only got so much time with those kids. Invest your time with those kids. You know, my philosophy, my wife's philosophy is this. I'll tell you the honest truth. I work so that I can do this. So that I can raise my kids. You know, I, and, I'll be, and I'll be honest with you. I try to work as hard as I can, but I try to work as little as I can so that I can invest the most time as possible into my children. Because let me tell you something. When I was an age mechanic and I worked on generators, if I fixed the generator six months later, it was broke anyway. You know, well, I can put all these hours into work and I can fix all these units. You think that's going to last for eternity? You know what's going to last for eternity? That child back there. And the child, you know, they're, they're, well, they're sleeping. They're not even paying attention. Hey, those children are going to last their souls and the things they do. You think your job's going to last for eternity? It's not. Invest your life wisely. Choose to invest your life in the things that will matter for eternity's sake. But Lot invested his time in his political movement. He sat at the gate of Sodom. He rised to authority. Abraham looks like a failure just going to God every day, but at the end, who would you rather be? Abraham or Lot. Let me show you another example. Who they were willing to sacrifice their children to. Look at Genesis 19.8. Genesis 19.8. I'll never understand this. Genesis 19.8, the Bible says, you know, after all these homosexuals compass the house round about, the Bible says, Behold now, I have two daughters. This is what Lot saying. He says, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as, as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So, 
I mean, do you, do you understand that? Do you grasp that? Lot says, let me give you my daughters and do what you want to them, but just don't hurt these men. I mean, he was willing to sacrifice his daughter to a mob of raping homosexuals. I mean, isn't that crazy? But go with me to Genesis 22.1. And look at Abraham. What does Abraham do? Genesis 22.1. And, and when we get to this, we'll preach a whole sermon on this, but let me just show you this real quick. Genesis 22.1, the Bible says, And it came to pass... After these things that God did tempt Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take thou thy son, and only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place to which God had told him. So God comes to Abraham, says, and he's, because the Bible tells us he's tempting Abraham. Now God never actually had Abraham uh, kill Isaac. He, Abraham got to a point where he was ready to kill Isaac, and at the very last minute, God sends an angel and says, Abraham, Abraham, stop! And he says, you know, God knows that you're willing to do it, and God just wanted to see if he was willing to do it. But it's interesting to me, Lot is willing. Now he does it because the angels intervened. Did, did you catch that in the story? The angels, they blinded the people, so they didn't allow Lot to sacrifice his daughters to a bunch of homosexuals. The angel intervenes in Abraham's story. He stops Abraham before he kills him. But notice, Lot was willing to sacrifice his daughters to the world. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice his daughter to who? God. I mean, isn't that amazing? Who they were willing to sacrifice their children to. See, some people say, I don't, want, I don't want my kids to be missionaries. I don't want my kids to serve God. I want them to be a doctor. I want them to be a lawyer. I want them to be successful. Well, you know what the problem with that person is? They're not willing to sacrifice their children to God. Because God may want them to be a broke preacher. God may want them to be a broke missionary. God may want them to do something great. Something bad. You know, people say, I want my uh, uh, son to be a president. Well, why would he be a president that means nothing for eternity's sake when he could be a preacher? That means everything for eternity's sake. But those people aren't willing to sacrifice. But that same person, you know, many children are sacrificed in the altar of pleasure, relationships, social lives, careers, hobbies, drugs and alcohol, selfishness. Many people, many, uh, people sacrifice their kids to the world without even giving it a second thought. But who was Abraham willing to sacrifice children to? God. Who was Lot willing to sacrifice children to? The death. The sons of Bilak. You know, and I, I understand that was Jew, uh, Judges 19. But I'm just trying to show you the contrast. There are two Christians living in the same area at the same time, living completely different lives. Let me show you one more, one more example. Keep your finger there in Genesis 22.1, and look at Genesis 19.16. Genesis 19.16. The Bible says, And while he, that's Lot, lingered, the man laid hold upon his hands, and upon the hands of his wife, and upon the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. So the angels already told Lot, Hey Lot, we're going to destroy the city, we better get out of here. And look at what the Bible says in verse 16, And while he lingered. He, 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 did he do it quickly? No. He just waited, he just lingered, and the Bible says that the men, they literally have to lay hands on him and just pull him out of the city. Go back to Genesis 22.1. Look at what it says about Abraham. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take thou thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And look what it says in verse 3. 
And Abraham lingered. Is that what it says? It says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass. And took, you know the difference between Lot and Abraham? Is that when one heard from God, he got up early the next day to do it. He immediately took care of it. When the other one heard from God, he lingered. He just, eh, well. You know, when we get to it. And, what ta- and let me ask you, seriously, what type of Christian are you? When you, when the, when you hear the Word of God and it speaks to your life, do you say, well, eventually I'll get to that. Are you the type of person who's going to say, man, I, I need to get that settled right now. Because that's the difference between Lot and Abraham. And Sodom and Gomorrah not only gives us the example of, of a homosexual, but it gives us an example of the contrast of a Christian who's right with God and a Christian who's not right with God. And here's, here's what makes the difference. Their choices. How they choose to live their life. Look at Genesis 19.29. Let me show you what God... God thought so highly of Abraham that look at what he said. Genesis 19.29, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham, and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Do you, do you realize that the only reason God even bothered to let Lot out of the city is because God remembered Abraham? Because if you remember in the previous chapter... Abraham was worried about Lot, and he was saying, you know, well, don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. But God, God had respect unto who? Lot? No. Abraham. Because God remembered Abraham, he showed mercy on Lot. Isn't that amazing? I mean, are you, are you, do you want to live your life in a way where hopefully you've got an acquaintance that God likes, because then God might show you a little bit of favor? Look, I'd rather just be Abraham and have the favor of God on my life. But here's the difference. You know, we, we have this idea, oh, Abraham was this type of, indi- he was just a different individual. You know, Paul was just a different type of person. Do you know that Abraham and, and Paul and Peter and all the great, you know, heroes of the faith, um, they had the same Holy Spirit, they had the same Word of God, they had the same flesh, they had the same opportunities. Here's the difference between the great men of God in the Bible and the rest of us. Choices. How you choose to live your life. That's it. And that's why we are without excuse. That's why we will never have an excuse to be able to say, well, I couldn't accomplish as much as whoever. Because we all run our own course. We all run our own race. God has given us all, uh, you know, uh, different talents. And we're judged based on what we do with those talents. But it's what you choose to do with those talents. And number three, and this is the last example, and we've got to get to it quickly because I spent too much time on those other two examples. Sodom and Gomorrah give us an example of the rapture. They gave us an example of rapture. Let me show you that quickly. Go with me to Luke chapter number 17 and look at verse 34. Luke 17, 34. Luke 17, 34. Now we at Verity Baptist Church believe very strongly in the rapture. We believe in the rapture. You say, what is the rapture? Well, I'll show it to you. Luke 17, 34. Luke 17, 34. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. Luke 17, 34. The Bible says, Jesus said, I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. That is the rapture. That's just one of the references in the Bible to rapture. You say, what's the rapture? Here's the rapture. One day God is going to rapture us out of this world. He's going to take us out of this world. It's literally going to happen like this. There's going to be a saved person working somewhere and with an unsaved person, and the saved person is going to be taken away and the, and the unsaved person left. I mean, literally one day, every Christian is going to just disappear. Is what the Bible says. And we believe that. But, we do not believe 
in the pre-tribulation rapture. You say, what's the pre-tribulation rapture? Well, the pre-tribulation rapture is this. And this is what most Baptists believe, which is why I'm talking about it. But most Baptists believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. They believe that one day, you know, just without any, just without any, anything happening, just out of nowhere, one day we're all going to be raptured out. God's just going to take us out. And then after that, you know, there's going to be a span of seven years, and then God is going to pour out His wrath, and they call that the tribulation. Now, they're wrong in a few things. Number one, what God calls the tribulation is not His wrath. God calls His wrath, His wrath. You know, God calls the tribulation when the world is persecuting us. So, I believe, the Bible teaches that we are going to go through the tribulation. Not the pouring out of God's wrath, but just the Antichrist and this world, you know, persecuting Christians. But, when God decides to pour out His wrath, He has to rapture the Christians out, because the Bible says that God will not pour out His wrath on His own people. So He's going to rapture us out of this world so that He can judge this world, right? That's what the rapture is. And most people think, and you know, if you've ever heard of like a movie called, or books called the Left Behind series, or the Left Behind movies, they'll say you get raptured up seven years later, you know, then, and, there's, and they say like, people think, oh, did aliens take him? Oh, did the Russians have some sort of a weapon that took them all away? You know, oh, did this happen? Did that happen? And then seven years later, God will pour out His wrath. Well, look at what the Bible says. You, we, we're there in Luke 17. Look at verse 28. Luke 17, 28. The Bible says, likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot. So notice it says, as it was in the days of Lot. So he says, Lot is an example. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. And look at what it says in verse 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. So when Lot went out of Sodom, did, did it rain fire and brimstone seven years later? No. It, ra- it rained fire and brimstone the same day. And destroyed them all. Because see, this is a picture of the rapture. The angels went into Sodom, that represents the world, grabbed the righteous people, brought them out of Sodom, and then the same day, God poured out His wrath. Alright? And in verse 30 of Luke 17.30, the Bible says, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, He which shall be upon the housetop... And his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve you, preserve it. I tell you, in the night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field and shall be taken and the other left. So the Bible says, the same way that the angels went in, grabbed the saved people, brought them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the same day God rained down His wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says, in the same exact way, God is going to send His angels, rapture us out of the world, and the same day, not seven years later, the same day He's going to begin to part His wrath. Now, I did want to read these verses for you, but I do not have the time to do it. But in Revelation chapter number 7 and verse 9, through the end of the chapter, you find the rapture. And in, in Revelation chapter number 8 and verse 1, you find there's a pause of half an hour. And then later on in Revelation 8-2, as you keep reading, they begin to pour out the wrath of God. So according to the book of Revelation, you have the rapture, 30 minutes of waiting, and then the wrath of God. It all happens the same day. There's no seven years, there's no waiting, it's the same day, it's the picture of the rapture in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I told you to keep your place there in, in Jude 1-7 and in... Uh, and in 2 Peter 2.6, go back to Jude 1.7. I'll read for you 2 Peter 2.6. 
But if you go back to Jude 1.7, the Bible says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that, are, that after should live ungodly. So the Bible says that Sodom and Gomorrah is an ensample. That's an old way of saying example. Jude 1.7, which was written at a different time, says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth in example, suffering the vengeance of eternal God. The Bible says that Sodom and Gomorrah was given for us as an example. You say, an example of what? An example of the Sodomites and what they're all about. An example of two Christians that invested their lives very differently. And look, that's probably the most important point in the sermon. How do you invest your life? Let me tell you something. If you're in the position of authority where you're leading somebody, maybe you're leading a wife, maybe you're leading children, maybe you're leading whoever, you better be careful how you invest your wife. Uh, how you invest your wife. <laughs> how you invest your life. <laughs> I'm rhyming, I'm a rap. Because it's going to show. I, let me tell you something. I, I'll tell you right now. You, the way you lead your children is the way they're going to turn out. You, you lead them to hate church, you lead them to, to not like church, you lead them to not be excited about the things of God, and guess what you're going to come up and produce? People who don't like church, who get bored with the Word of God, who don't get... I'm telling you the truth. You find a mom and a dad who are just excited about the Bible, they want to get into the Bible reading, they want to read the Bible with their kids every day, they want to go sowing, they want to pray, and you're going to raise children who want to read the Bible, want to pray, want to go sowing. You find a mom and dad who just come to church because they feel like they have to, and they just got to sit there, and they just got to fall asleep in the back, and they just don't really care, and you know what you're going to raise? A bunch of slots. You find a dad who works hard, and you know what you're going to raise? A working, uh, a son who works hard. You find a dad who's lazy, you raise a lazy son. It's true. You reap what you sow. I'm telling you right now, you reap what you sow. And you better figure out how you're going to invest. You say, I don't have no kids. You can still invest your life. You can invest your life in this church. You can invest your life in my kids. You can invest your life in getting people saved. You can invest your life. Look, it's up to you. You could be an Abraham. We saw this morning when we were preaching on the subject of friendship. The Bible says that, that Abraham was called the friend of God. Man, I'd love to end my life one day and have God say, that's my friend. Or you could be locked. It all, it's all up to you, how you choose your life. And then we have the example here of, of the rapture, and how we get raptured up in the same day the wrath of God falls. And that's what the Bible says. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church, Lord.